0: DIY 20 at checkout to save 20%. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time,
1: it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We'll command whoa, and that dog will stop. Okay? And then we might throw a distraction in at that point. You know, meaning, what's a distraction? Well, again, we're curbing that impulse control, so dog, you know, starts to get on the board, we cue whoa, and then we drop a pigeon in front of him.
0: Let's face it, we aren't always the best dressed folks coming out of the field and into camp or even making it to that important family dinner that you had to rush to. Our friends at Marshwear offer seasonal clothing options that allow you to look great while you still explore the low country marshlands or the upland covers. Their focus on comfort and style while still remaining functional sets them apart and you'll be just as comfortable in the training field as you will be hanging around camp. I've personally enjoyed the Wheeler Field Jacket with its convenient game pouch that makes it perfect for quick training or small hunts. Hit up marshwearclothing.com Use code GDIY15 to save 15%, and Patreon patrons save even more. Welcome back to another week of GDIY, everybody, presented by Standing Stone Supply, making his long-awaited return and a long-term friend of the podcast, Scott Caldwell of Rusty Guns Kennel. Scott, how you doing, man?
1: Hey, brother. I'm just happy to be here today.
0: (laughs) Yeah? Yeah? Well... It's been a while since you've been on. It's been year year and a half easily, so uh I'll kind of leave it up to you with how much you uh want to share and catch everybody up with what's going on in the in the crazy land of Scott as you always have some crazy and fun random <laughs> things happening to you
1: man you can't make up my life you (laughs) really can't make up my life some days but uh now we've had a we've had a very interesting last year we we did some great hunting we had you down i did some good duck hunting i think and uh got some time in with the dogs and stuff but uh unfortunately over thanksgiving i suffered a heart attack but survived a widow maker so um you know Complete surprise to me and my family. I, I'm sure I know you were pretty surprised when you got the word from Kylie.
0: Right. It, you know. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure my, my response was like everybody else's when Kylie reached out and said, you know, Scott's in the hospital. He had a massive heart attack. Uh, my, my response was how, you know, you're not old you're not <laughs> overweight, you're active. Uh, you know, you, you, probably burn the candle at, at both ends a little too much, but you know, don't we all in some regards, but, uh, right. yeah, from my, from my understanding is you, you really probably shouldn't be here talking to me today.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, uh I'm a blessed individual. I had some very good people take care of me while it was happening um, had all the things line up in the right, in the right places so that, you know, I could get the care that I needed. Um, but you know, the biggest thing, this has really allowed me to refocus on some of the stuff in the dog kennel, um, you know, break out of the monotony a little bit, f- fall in love with dog training again, uh, spend some more time with family, you know, pretty much all the important things in life now.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so I guess there's a, there's a shining light or, or... Out of a horrible experience, something good kind of came out of it. Like I, like you said, you you seem a little bit more refocused and, and intentional and goal driven with the with the dog training stuff and and hunting and family. So, uh, kind of excited to see where you go from here. But you know, I'm just I'm just happy that you can be here to to come on and and talk uh, woe via place boards and all that kind of irrelevant stuff when you really think about it. Yeah,
1: well, it's not irrelevant. I mean, it's very relevant to. What we do and how we do it, but um, yeah, I'm excited. Well, Where do you want to start? Let's
0: let's just jump on in. So, since since I've kind of known you, I think it was three, four, or five years ago, something like that. Whenever I went down there, you were just kind of at the start of experimenting with the placeboard. board, and and I think you were coming at it from a point you were just training it as a place board, and then you fast forward a couple years and you completely revamped your entire system start to finish ultimately through the place board. And so right. today we're going to focus mainly on the woe via placeboard, but I want to kind of get your take on what, why the place board, why did that speak to you so much and what, and why did you believe in it so much to revamp your entire program around it?
1: Yeah, it, it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, to me, you've kind of got two levels of, Professional trainers, uh, but we all kind of look at the same thing, and that—that is, what what method or what can we do to be very efficient, and in, in what we're working with with client dogs and stuff like that. Reality of it is, is that most client dogs that we see, you know, we're seeing them for a very short uh, time frame in their, you know, when you consider their dog life and their training life and stuff like that. So being efficient in what we do. And I'm always looking for something, you know, to add a little twist into our training program. You know, if, if there's something that we can do that where we can be um, very consistent and get consistent results out of um, and be efficient in what we're trying to do and provide for clientele, uh, we we try to play with it and we try to adapt it to to the program a little bit. Um, and that's exactly what kind of happened with place and, and the place boards is, um, I instituted it into a portion of our foundation obedience piece, um, and, and really starting to take the next step from, you know, some initial puppy impulse control type stuff that we talked about to, okay, I'm now looking for something a little more refined and, Slowly but surely, uh, we just adapted to where the place board was the foundation for a lot of stuff from the force fetch, giving them a, uh, some sort of a marker or a, a set place to come back to and return to and deliver to now it's a, a large part of our steadiness program and woe training.
0: Yeah. And and ultimately, I think that's what it was when I when I first kind of got to see you training and, and what you were doing at, at your kennel. Was you were using it ultimately as as the force fetch piece, you know, come back, a place of delivery, a handoff. It was always there, and uh, just watching you extend that. And like you said, it was just like you you kind of saw the benefits of it on one aspect, and then you would apply it to another aspect or another drill, and then another one, and then now here you are to where it's it, you could say that the place board or, or really ultimately impulse control is like the foundation of your program and kennel.
1: Yeah. I mean, impulse control is, I mean, let's, let's talk about what impulse control and steadiness really. I mean, what steadiness is, is exactly that is impulse control of the dog. Um, you know, young dogs, we teach, you know, from the start to go before, woe you know, we allow them to go in the field. We allow them to, chase birds we allow them to maybe even catch birds you know we're trying to promote that drive and that desire and stuff um and then all of a sudden somewhere about a year year and a half old we try to take that away from the dog and say no 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 no, no. you got to stand here wait steady until big dumb idiot comes and kicks around (laughs) the grass and and then you're going to hear a loud noise and then you're going to be allowed to do that and you know there's some stuff that we do and most listeners probably do this because they've listened to puppy series or they're talk to their breeder or something along those lines. And, you know, we're pretty accustomed to making the dogs wait before they eat their food or, or maybe wait before they come in or go out of the house. And that's, that's a huge element of impulse control. But what I want people to understand is we're giving the dog something at that point or taking something away from the dog at that point. And we're doing that even from a young age so that, you know, we're, we're adding ourselves into that equation. But then at that same time, we take that dog out into the field and we allow him to do whatever. So we actually kind of shape that behavior from a young age that, Hey, breaking out a birds. Okay. Right. You can kind of solve that. If you just kind of take that impulse control to the next level, meaning that now you're giving them a place, you know, a place board or something to sit on, you start adding some distractions and stuff like that. And then later on, once the dog matures a little bit, that is a known, you know, the, the place board becomes a known position that they can't move their feet without getting in trouble for, unless they're allowed to go do that. Yeah. So that, that's the foundation piece of it.
0: Right. And, and ultimately it's kind of similar to us in a lot of ways, not to contribute like human elements to dog training too much. Uh, but there's something to be said in life about delayed satisfaction, right? Anything anything that you can delay to put off to get what you want, at the end of it, in the long term, it's going to be probably a, a better thing for you ultimately. And so really we're kind of just applying that to the dog, so to speak. And like you said, there's a ton of drills that if you have a puppy or not even a puppy but just a young dog and you're trying to build up to working on woe or something via this method – you can start doing those drills, like you said. Make them wait for food. Make them wait on their dog bed before being released. And like you said, it just kind of depends on what the dog is wanting. Some dogs, yes. it, a reward is that food bowl. Some dogs, it's just the freedom to go run, right? Yes. And, and so the, the, there's a there's an important piece on this that you need to recognize your dog's drive and stuff like that. But what, what tells you, like, okay – we can go down a rabbit hole and talk the basic obedience on this placeboard all day long. We're here to talk about whoa. So when you, when you decide this dog is going into whoa training, what's your prerequisites? What are you looking for on the dog to tell you I am ready to start this whoa training?
1: Well, it, for us, you know, we've got a very regimented roadmap and, and generally I don't start steadiness or whoa training until after I have force fetched the dog. Um, the reason for that is, is because, you know, the, and we've talked about it a bunch is that that force fetch process being very regimented, very step-by-step step, really shows that's the first segment in the dog's life that shows the dog how to turn off pressure and, and have has you understanding how to move the dog, utilizing that pressure, either pushing that dog away from you. Or, or something along those lines to, to get the result that you're wanting. And once that dog starts to click and get that, then, you know, going into the woe and the steadiness training, it just, it's just so much easier. What, what I've noticed is if you kind of go in reverse, you get people that try to do the steadiness training first and then go to the force fetch pile, it, it actually creates a little confusion in the dog because if you're utilizing pressure to stop the dog or to stop the dog's feet from moving forward and then you know that you're successful in that and then you bring the dog to the table and then you start applying that same pressure to push that dog down the table to go get a bumper, it, it seems to create a lot of confusion, if that makes sense. Yeah. So now what we're doing is through a very step-by-step process, the dog learns pressure how to turn pressure off through a through an action and we're shaping that action and then when the dog has successfully completed force fetch then i'm telling now i'm saying okay now i'm going to go start work steadiness basically in reverse of what the force fetch was and and it just seems to click because the dog has already had the fundamentals of the place board through the obedience program and stuff like that so
0: so that that's really interesting. So you're talking, obviously, you're coming in, you're doing the the foundational, the obedience and stuff like that. Then you're going into force fetch. Then you're going into the woe, and uh, that's a very good point. Something that I I probably didn't even really consider is is what comes after the woe. Like if you're tra- like you said, you're training the dog to stop on pressure, but then the very next thing, if you go onto the force fetch, is you're trying to get the dog to go with pressure. Uh, so so that's really interesting. What about the timing of that? Does that mess it up? Not mess it up, but how does that affect the age of the dog coming into it? You know, a lot of people, they're training woe on these dogs, six, seven months old sometimes, uh, even younger, and force fetches, you know, that's a pretty daunting thing for a dog that young sometimes.
1: It it is. um, You know, it it goes back to, and I'm not going to hit up on the puppy thing too much, but, you know, for me personally there's some things that you can do foundationally with a young dog to help with what I call puppy steadiness. Right. And, and and it doesn't include the use of the word. Whoa. Okay. Um, Getting puppies ready, maybe for their first test, their natural ability test or AKC, or maybe even their first season, you got to kind of curb your expectations to a certain extent, you know, depending on genetics and exposure and stuff, if you've got a puppy that holds steady enough to you to get within shotgun range, consider that a win, you know? I mean, and if you're hunting over wild birds, those wild birds are going to eventually tell that dog, you know, Hey, you got to be a little bit steadier than this, you know, before the big dumb idiot comes in here and kicks around. Right. (laughs) Right. So, um, you know, it's one of those things where, with a young dog, um, again, if you go back, like we were talking about, young dog, you're trying to build desire, right? You're trying to build prey drive. You're making sure that dog has a good, adequate search and all that piece. And I'm never going to try and hold that dog back during that period. But if I see a dog that starts to maybe bust birds a little bit too easy or, or is not quite as steady as I want them to as a young dog, then I'll, I'll, much like we do with the food and, and some of the foundational obedience stuff is I'll, we, I'll withhold that reward. That reward could be just chasing that bird, that, that adrenaline rush of that bird getting up off the ground and that dog chasing it from one end of the field to the other. I'll stop the chase. You know, I'll, I'll and that's important because you talk about obedience and, well, one of the first things we teach a dog is recall. Right. Right. Here means here, bottom line, that's it. So we'll stop the chase. And you'll see a young dog pretty quick that within a, a, quite a few, you know, probably 15 to 20 birds be like, man, there's no benefit in this anymore. Yeah, you know, There's no benefit in me breaking it or busting it before dad gets here because then there's, a, then there's going to be no loud noise. And then I don't get a bird in my mouth. And, <laughs> oh, my God, what's going to happen next, you know? You'll see that start to come around. And that's not much different than you hear – Some of the trainers that are a little bit out west that have the opportunity to use wild game and wild birds, you you hear it all the time. What do they say? Get your dog on wild birds. Yeah. Get your dog on wild birds.
0: Oh, You you have some trainers and kennels out there that that's all they have in their toolbox. You you talk to them, and and I'm not belittling anything anybody's doing because, hey, if if they turn out bird dogs, they turn out bird dogs. But – it, it's it's shocking how many trainers you can talk to, to where their entire program is get your dog on wild birds. That's it, and, and, and you know, good, good on them. But not everybody has that opportunity, especially given the time of year.
1: Correct, and you, on top of that, you've got to you got to be a little bit smarter than the average bear, meaning that you've got to think about what is the mechanism that's teaching that dog to be steady when they're working wild birds versus one of these pen raised birds, you know, and what the mechanism is, is is just that you're taking the chase away, but you're doing it in a much more natural ses- situation. You know what I mean? You know, obviously a wild rooster pheasant is going to fly a lot farther <laughs> and run the ground a lot faster than a pen raised planted quail. Right. You know? Yeah. So, you know, at the end of the day, you know, your dog's going to, you know, if you take the dog to South Dakota and it blows up 300 birds and that's 300 bird contacts, that dog learned, oh, shit, I can't catch them. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm going to have to wait for, you know, big dumb idiot. Come in and, catch <laughs> the and, and then I'm going to be able to get that bird in my mouth. Yeah. You know, so that's you got to think about the mechanism of what we're talking about and why the guys that have the opportunity to use wild birds, you know, use those wild birds and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And, and ultimately, you know, we're talking about woe and woe is kind of for most programs, there's a couple out there that don't utilize it. But for, for the most, 99 percent of the methods out there, woe is kind of the building block, the foundation that that we utilize to, to work steadiness. And steadiness right. at the end of the day is what you just said a, a number of times in that statement, taking the chase away. I mean, when you want to define steadiness at its simplest definition, that's ultimately what it is, is take the chase away to where that dog waits on you to release it. That's it. It's harnessing that impulse control. Yeah. And yeah. and then that translates to your program, the, the woe board, <laughs> right? That we're back, yeah. back to square one on the impulse control, which is kind of, we did that full circle for a reason there. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about, real quick, we're not going to spend too long on this, but let's describe the placeboard for the listeners. Let's describe about the physical makeup and and how you know you utilize DIY placeboards. Talk about your actual placeboard setup, descri- the description of it, and how you begin to even introduce it. And then we're gonna skip ahead into the actual woe stuff.
1: Okay. Well, the one thing I am gonna say, and this is a pet peeve of mine, is you know, I'm gonna prelude this whole discussion with. What What is the command of woe, okay? Um, to me, the command of woe is the dog is in motion, you know, and, and is moving physically. We command the dog to woe, and the dog is expected to stop moving its feet immediately, okay? Pet peeve of mine is absolutely is when you've got a dog, it's st- on point, Standing there, and the first reaction of every person that I see that's that's amateur is is to do what, Nick?
0: Whoa! 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 whoa. <laughs>
1: yeah, you're walking up to the dog, going, whoa! And the dog's not moving.
0: Oftentimes with a face or, or, or a hand, palm Hands out in front of the dog, like, whoa, like holding off yeah. like they're a crossing guard or something. So it, you're not reinforcing anything at that point. You're really not. <laughs> you're actually watering <laughs> down the command. You're actually making yes, it, you are. that mean less to the dog.
1: Yeah, you absolutely are. You, you absolutely are. So with me saying that, that's kind of the prelude to how we start teaching whoa. As a command for the dog to stop moving its feet, um, we utilize a couple of different techniques
0: up front. Well, Where, uh, real quick before you get to that, oh, the placeboard. D- yeah, describe the placeboard setup so that then we can then go into that.
1: Yep. No, nope, that's too easy. So you're right. I've got DIY, you know, placeboards that I make. I know there's a, a couple of manufacturers out there that that make them. Um, you know, you could even use a corundabed. bed. Um, the Cato boards are out there, um, for me purposely, I built my own because I built my own to how I train. So my, my place boards are about 24 inches wide, um, 32 inches long, and they're, they're set up, uh, two by four. So they're, they're about, you know, four inches off the ground thereabouts. Um, the Cato boards, I love them. I wish they were just a little bit wider and maybe a little bit, just a touch bigger. Um, they, they work just, just fine. Just fine. Yeah. It's just me. It's a personal thing with me. Yeah. Um, I don't like using corunda beds, um, or anything that's a fabric because I don't like the fact that it's spongy and it has a dog, you know, a little bit of give underneath the dog's feet and stuff like that. I want something very solid, very known, um, easily recognizable that the dog understands.
0: Yep. Would, would you say the elevation is the most important factor out of that, though, like to make a clear, distinct thing? So, if somebody has like a piece of plywood at the house, is that good enough for your program, or do you say that we need that little bit of elevation change?
1: I think you need a little bit of elevation. I mean, I've got, um, you've been to the kennel, I've got, you know, a dozen or more placeboards around the property. Um, Some of them are four inches. Some of them are put on a two by six specifically for some other reasons. Um, You know, those reasons are mostly because if I got a dog that just is not it's not clicking in their head. Okay, well, let's let's increase it by two inches and see what happens. (laughs) And all of a sudden the dog's like, oh, there it is. (laughs) That small change. Yeah. When, when you talk about like efficiency, it's like, all right, he's not getting it on the two by four. Let's put him on the two by six. Yep. Okay. Now he's got it. Got it. Um, really that's the only preference between the two. I don't like using mats on the grass or the ground. I want that visual aspect for the dog. Um, I don't like using, like I said, the softer beds and stuff like that. Um, I want something very firm fixed and, you know, um, Easily recognizable.
0: Yeah. Cool. So, so that's the physical makeup. And again, to reiterate, you're you're working your foundational obedience through this. You're using it through numerous steps in your force fetch. So that by the time you get right. to this woe, that dog knows what that place board is about. There's no there's there's no gray area at all on what the placeboard is and what's required of it.
1: Correct. That's absolutely correct. Yep.
0: So. Now let's get into your woe method. Like you said, you, your definition is those feet stop immediately yep. when you give the command, and take it from there. How how are we starting off on woe? Like first session?
1: So very first session. Um, again, I'll kind of caveat this with the fact that you know you've been to the, you've been to the kennel. We've got lots of. Uh, I'll 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 steal this word from Mark apparatus. <laughs> 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 no, we've got a we've got a pyramid. Thank you, Mark and Martha, for the idea. Um, we've got a seesaw. Thank you for Mark and Martha for the idea. The, the uh, confidence course, the O course, yeah, the confidence <laughs> course. Um, but we've got a few few things other than the place board. Okay, and uh, again, just you know, building our program here and stuff. Um, we, we will take the dog around those objects, you know, and I'll use the uh, the pyramid as a perfect example. So the pyramid we have, it's about six feet tall, uh, 45 degree angle, um, and getting the dog to move up and down and over the pyramid, you know, that's part of the foundational obedience speaks. But what we do is, when we start the woe training, is we will take the dog up the pyramid, and we'll take advantage of that natural pause at the top of the pyramid before the dog wants to come down, Okay. And we will actually, when the dog gets to that peak of that pyramid, you know, no pressure on the collar yet. Dog's still wearing the collar, but we're no pressure on the collar yet. We'll just institute the whoa command. And the dog will just literally kind of stop me like, okay, whoa, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we'll, we'll do that at probably about two days and repetition, 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 probably 20, 30 minutes, you know, two or three times a day. And what you'll see is, is the dog will actually start to understand that whoa means, oh, I got to stop. Okay. Um, then when we've got the dog naturally stopping at either the top of the pyramid or we'll say halfway through the seesaw, then we'll kind of advance that a little bit to now I want the dog to stop walking up the plank or down the plank. Okay. And, and, and just using either a little light correction with the uh the wonder lead we get that to start happening and then we institute the collar pressure okay and when i say collar pressure guys i mean this is the lightest amount of pressure that you can possibly set your your collar low to you're just basically giving the dog a cue you're not correcting the dog you're not pressuring the dog into like you would in force fetch to go pick something up you're giving the dog a slight cue that, hey, this means woe with this cue means stop moving your feet. And once we have the dog moving up and down the apparatus doing that to where they can actually stop and woe prior to any any correction, or I shouldn't say correction, any cue, and they're just going off the verbal command, then I know they're ready to start on the ground with the place force.
0: Okay. And so is there, a, is there another – version of that natural pause that you're utilizing to overlay the command for those people that maybe don't have the pyramid in their backyard? Is there something that, you know, uh, let's say in your program, you said this is after force fetch. Maybe somebody has the force fetch table or something. Is that something we can utilize in this as well for that first initial step?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You could use, um, you could use your, your training table if you have like a like a picnic table or a raised surface that you have the dog accustomed to jumping up and down off of, you know, taking taking uh, advantage of that natural pause when they jump up onto an object and telling them, whoa, or jumping down from an object and telling them, whoa, you know, you're, you're just looking for something where a dog would just have that natural pause before it makes its next
0: move. So a, t- a tailgate, uh, a bed, uh, a yes. table, uh, any of that yes. stuff. So, I mean, you can get creative on all this just because, you know, Scott, Mark and Martha, they have the O course. Uh, yes. it, <laughs> the average person doesn't have that. I don't even have that right now. Uh, right. But it, really, instead of looking at it like people, a listener might be like, well, I don't have a pyramid right now. Well, what the, the why you use yes. that is more important than what you're actually using. And so that I wanted to convey that. So. So they use whatever they have available to them that will work that gets that natural pause. And essentially, you're just taking that dog's natural action and you're kind of putting a name to it. So it is kind of right. free shaping uh, to some extent on, on that example.
1: Correct. Yeah, you're, you're a basic, it's the very basic level of shaping behavior, okay? And, and utilizing the dog, like you said, the natural, the natural reaction and what the dog kind of wants to do anyway, yeah, and just you're labeling it at that point.
0: Yep. So you introduced it. You're starting to overlay it, and like you said, there you, you're seeing that the dog is having it uh, an understanding of what the word means before you're going into the placeboard. board. And so this Correct. is where the placeboard board comes in. What are you doing? Are you just kind of walking them up to the placeboard? board? What What are we doing here? Man, you nailed it right on the head. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, we will. I'll I'll have we'll have probably two or three place boards out. Um, you know, if you don't have three, one's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but yeah, we are under control, meaning the dog is on a wonder lead or, um, a pinch collar or something along those lines. Cause again, one, we're trying to, you know, to steal a term from Mark is to establish a point of connection, you know, with the dog being around the neck and the dog wearing the collar or a point of contact, if you will. And then two, you know, you're, you've got the dog under absolute control still. So we will be walking uh, the dog generally at heel, um, and we're walking up to the placeboard. board. And you'll start to notice if the dog has had previous placeboard board training, the dog will actually start to offer that behavior. Meaning the dog's going to, when the dog sees the placeboard board and you get about four or five feet from it, you might see that dog start to surge towards that placeboard board to get up onto that placeboard. board. Okay. And again, this is where we take advantage of that natural want to stop anyway. Okay. And that is where right when you see that dog start to surge, um, I'm going to coin another phrase from one of your previous guests, you know, a COB, a change in behavior, yep. right? Where the dog wants to surge up onto that board. And right when those front feet are starting to hit that board, we'll command, whoa, and that dog will stop. Okay. And then we might throw a distraction in at that point, you know, meaning what's a distraction? Well, again, we're curbing that impulse control. So dog, you know, starts to get on the board, we cue whoa, and then we drop a pigeon in front of them. Okay. When we got that dog absolutely Starting to offer the woe behavior on the woe command. Where if I've got a dog s- actually stopping his gait or stopping his 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 feet prior to getting on the board, then I know we're ready to start ramping up the distractions and ramping up you know the enticement to come off of that board, if you will.
0: So so there's really not that long of a uh, a time frame from naming it with the natural uh, behavior from the dogs or the natural instinct from the dogs in another facet going to the woe board you're going into distractions pretty quickly it sounds like.
1: Uh, yeah to a to a lesser extent. I mean I say a pigeon, it could be a ball, it could be a bumper yeah but you're trying you're just trying to pull that dog's focus away from you distinctly for for that half a second. And then seeing what that dog's reaction is going to be, you know, and so that you can, if the dog, you know, moves, then you can apply a correction, replace them on the place board, you know, make them stand there again, maybe throw a bumper in front of his nose, which is no different than the dog should have seen through his foundational obedience anyway, Mm -hmm. right? If you're talking place board training. Um, And then, you know, you're just taking advantage of that piece of it right there. Mm
0: -hmm. so let's say you you drop the pigeon like you said or bumper what fill in the blank you, th- you throw the distraction the dog breaks. what are you doing? are you are you giving a correction as soon as they break and then giving giving them the place command or are you putting them back on whoa what are you giving them?
1: At this point when we're working steadiness, I do not use the place command um, It is simply a correction to the woe command all right so again you're, you're gonna have to be, you know the listeners and and, you know it's easy for me it's easy for you know my assistant trainers or somebody who's been doing this for a while you know martha will talk about how you watch that dog like you can almost see his muscles just you know getting ready before he lunges or or before he breaks you know what i mean you can tell when a dog's gonna just completely blow over top of the board or something along those lines and that's where you've got to be johnny on the spot with your correction okay your uh, uh, little tug on the wonder lead or the check cord, bring them back to the place board. Okay. When their feet hit the ground, I'm not telling them, Whoa, again, because they've already, they've moved. They know the place board. They should know that, that, that reaction that we're looking for. Okay. Um, And of course your question is like, what if they don't, well, then you need to go revisit place boards in general as a whole, you know,
0: And I think that's what we were talking about earlier is like that dog knows exactly what that place board means. Then you're, you're still kind of in the early stages of woe. But like you said, you've established the dog has some understanding what woe means, but you know, without a shadow of a doubt, because of all the groundwork you've done previously, that dog knows once it's up on the place board, not to go, even if you didn't give them the place command per se. Correct. And
1: that's, that's, you
0: know, I feel
1: remiss that we talk place board, whoa, we're talking placeboard woe and not discussing a little bit of initial placeboard and foundation <laughs> stuff. Um, you know, through through our placeboard training and our foundation obedience stuff, we'll drop birds in front of that dog while it's on a placeboard. We'll throw bumpers in front of that dog while it's on a placeboard. We'll set a bowl of food two feet away, you know, on that placeboard and expect that dog to be on that placeboard until we release them. So it's not new to that dog. The only thing new now is the cue and the command to woe. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, it, for most listeners, this may sound a little bit, you know, like I'm busting my chest a little bit, but our stay in this program, if you're, if we're over two and a half weeks, then we've got some hurdles.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, we can generally get most dogs stay in wingshot wing shot and fall within about two and a half weeks really quick if they've had all the the, the prerequisite stuff on the place board and stuff yeah. like that
0: so i'm curious so we just talked about the correction and putting the dog back on the place board if, if they break right right say you go there you you drop the pigeon or let's let's go with a bumper this makes more sense that way you throw okay. the bumper the dog stays as they're supposed to what are you doing then? Are you releasing them to let them go get the bumper? Are you going to get the bumper and it being a denial? What kind of duration are we talking about on these first few reps on the placeboard?
1: So the first few reps, what I'm looking for is um, the dog allowing me to be the big dumb idiot, walk out in front of the dog, kick around whether I produce something or not. It already knows there's a bumper right there, right? I'm going to kick around and stuff. I may make, you know, two or three circles around the dog on the placeboard. board. And then I'll walk up just like I would during the force fetch process, you know, dogs on my left side, give them a mark, command, tell them fetch. And then I'm expecting a clean retrieve, you know? Um, that's uh, the other reason why we, we really kind of promote doing the force fetch prior to um, the this training piece. Cause that, that retrieve then becomes a reward.
0: You're absolutely right. Yeah. So, when you do placeboard, do you require uh, the dogs to sit on place as one of your things? Because, and what I'm getting at is, do you have any hiccups or hurdles of the dogs that are naturally wanting to sit on the placeboard? Uh, do you have them having a little bit of a, a harder time understanding, no, now you're standing on the placeboard?
1: So it, it, it's so funny you asked that question because that's exactly, exactly questions I had from my assistant trainers this morning. Um, we had some young dogs in here over the fall that were here for natural ability. Uh, they did their place board work. And for us, if the dog offers to sit on the place board, we don't correct it. Um, we will mark the behavior as a positive behavior. Um, and so what you'll see is yes, long story short, you may, or you will have some dogs that when you start to initiate, the woe training from the placeboard that when you throw a bumper, when you throw something or you produce something that they're going to want to sit on the placeboard. That's where we kind of take it to the next level. And we change, change the game on them a little bit. And that's actually where I will take them to the woe post um, and teach them, you know, to stand still. Okay. And, and when you, one of two things will happen. You get a dog, it gets up onto the placeboard, you throw the bumper, it generally will stand there and watch that bumper, but then as you're walking around, we'll kind of move down into the sit position. Okay. That's where you gotta I don't say game the dog a little bit, but you've got to get the dog to understand that standing is where you want them to be. So nine times out of ten, you know, I don't work with just one bumper. I don't work with just one pigeon. I'll have two or three bumpers in my bag or two or three pigeons in my bag. And the minute that dog goes to sit down, I'll throw another one right in front of it. And you'll see that dog be like, oh, shoot, that's I want to be right there. I want to be right there. And you'll see that dog staunch up again, but knows hopefully not to come off that board, Mm. if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Do you have any dogs that figure out, again, we talked about association. These dogs are really smart. They figure out this action leads to something that I want. And you are just talking about the dog that loves to watch birds fly away. So yep. if a dog starts to sit down and you throw another pigeon and they watch that, that bird fly away and they get excited over that adrenaline rush by watching you know their cocaine fly through the air, uh, yep. do, you, do you ever come across dogs that then start hitting that thrown pigeon button? By trying to sit down, they're making you throw another pigeon. Does that make any sense?
1: It, I, I know where you're going at with this. Um, I haven't seen it to that level yet. Okay, where the dog feels like that sitting motion is what produces that bird. Um, if again, generally, if we see a dog that um, is only wanting to sit no matter what the situation, well, and then we That's bring the him to the low post. Yeah, we get to get him, get that dog to understand that it's got to stand still. Yeah, you know, it's got to stand. Still.
0: And and I figured that would be an extreme outlier. I'm sure there's a dog out there that does figure that out, but I'm just trying to ask all these crazy questions that some <laughs> of the listeners might come asking me after this episode, right? Uh, right. so the Woe Post. So you do come across that dog that has that that desire or instinct, whatever you want to call it, to sit on placeboard because that's what's been been ingrained in him for for whatever reason or or just repetitions, what have you. Uh and then you correct that with the woe post. Before we go into that, because we just covered the woe post on the previous episode, why not just start with the woe post to begin with?
1: Um, that That's a great question. Um, to me, some of the dogs um, and the woe post, and I'm not shooting holes in Mark and Martha or the the Smith method because it's it's obviously a very proven method, Um to me there's some of these dogs that it is it just doesn't translate that fast you know the woe post and then then the game piece of it and stuff like that um essentially if you really think about it when we're, we're talking about teaching the dog command of woe right there's there's not a lot of that in discussion on the woe post it, it, it's if you think about the Smith method is a very silent um, method of training the dog to stand still. Yeah. There's not, there's not until maybe much later that there's actually an induction of the whoa command. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah.
1: What we're teaching is it's almost twofold. One, we are teaching the dog a new command, meaning stop your feet wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, whatever's happening around you, stop moving. And then also just in general, the steadiness piece, okay, Um, which is same thing. I smell a bird, I see a bird, I hear a shot, stop moving. So, um, you know, the Institute of the Woe Command and the Woe Post, you know, the dogs generally, and, and you've seen this the first couple of times on a Woe Post, that dog's mind is not thinking about anything other than the rope on its on its you know belly and the rope on it that's on the leash in front of them you know you could yell whoa a thousand times and they're probably still thinking about that rope that's on its belly and the ropes on on his neck
0: yeah
1: um so you know to me they work very close hand in hand like i said if i get two things one if i get a dog that's sitting a lot on a place board we'll go to the woe post and only one or two times you know nothing crazy or if I've got a dog that's just not clicking with, with the ultimate impulse control, like as we start going down this road uh, and we'll discuss it is when I really start ramping up the distraction levels, like, you know, five, six flush pigeons, a shot bird and everything else. And they're just not correlating. Hey, I got to stop moving or I got to stay on this place board for the situation. I'll take them to the woe post for a day and do all those things that we were doing from the place board from the woe post. Mm. So I'll be dropping pigeons in front of them. I'll be throwing shots in the air. I'll be doing everything to where they just don't move. They can't, right? We don't allow them to. Then we'll kind of take a step back and go back to the woe, uh, to the place boards and actually start to ramp it up again. And you'll see a dog come around pretty quick. Yep.
0: This is th- There there's some episodes and, and recordings that just make me love what I do on on recording this <laughs> podcast, because last week, uh, Mark and Martha talking about that, so many of the things that they said never do, you just said, I do it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I, I would love to be a fly on the wall when Mark calls you like, Scott, and you, y'all are going to have a, yep. you know, we might have to have a trainer fight episode on that one. But but it just goes to show the entire purpose of why I'm doing this series, right? It's just yes. like there's there's t- twenty different ways to skin a cat. There's so much overlap on this and so many similarities. But you can kind of, it depends on the why ultimately. Like you said, the woe post relies so much on those point of contacts and getting the dog used to those those pressure zones and and uh, and, and pressure overall, and then kind of transitioning off that you're using the same woe post, but not for that. You're teaching it for certain scenarios that show up through your method. So I just find that fascinating that you've been able to take something, uh, that's kind of used for a completely different way and been able to work it into your program. Like you said, it's only a couple times that you may need to quote unquote, teach the dog, How to stand, and this is stemming from the dog that wants to sit on the place board. Um, Is it really that fast? Does it like if you have the dog that their first instinct is to sit? It truly only takes two or three sessions on a web post, and that dog figures it out that fast.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, 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 I'll. Um, I won't mention his name, but I had a client recently last year uh, had a young grip that. This Griff just—I mean—was it was it learned from a young age that the smell of a bird didn't mean point; it meant run as fast as I can, dive in, and get that get that something. <laughs> right. And um, it, it, we went through foundation place board. We went through started the woe training, and he he just still like man when he smelled the bird or he saw the bird. There was no level on the collar that you could possibly touch that could break his concentration. There was no level of, of anything that he was going to correlate with what you were asking him to do. We brought him and put him on the woe post probably three times. And when he finally realized, like, I just can't move, I just got to stand here, um, you know, that owner came back and literally was in tears. Like uh, uh, you know, we walked out, and, and I says, "You want to shoot shoot birds over your dog?" And he says, "I can." I said, "Absolutely." <laughs> and and by the by the third bird, you know, he's over there wiping his cheeks and stuff. I'm like, you know, what's wrong? And he's like, "I never thought I'd be gonna be able to do this with this dog." You know, it, it, it's it's kind of reward. It's very rewarding. It's not kind of. It's very rewarding.
0: Yeah. You know? Well, I mean that that's why you do it. You know, it's cool watching the dogs come through, but uh, it's even cooler like. You know that that's why owners buy these dogs, is, or for yes. those experiences. And so l- let's get back to the placeboard. board. You know, sometimes, as you just mentioned, there's a couple examples that you may have to take a detour through the woe post. And but we're back on the woe the the place board. We're assuming that we don't have those hookups. We haven't seen the hurdles or or anything to deviate to that. We're still on the placeboard. board. Are you just amping up, adding in more distractions, different distractions, changing the duration requirement? What you know, talk to me how we're building this up because it's one thing to introduce it; it's another to build off of it. Brother, it sounds like you've read chapter three of my new book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the downtime I forgot is giving you time to actually yeah. start putting no, stuff in writing. That's exactly <laughs>
1: that's exactly what it is. It's just a slow, steady. You know, think about it just like the force fetch, it's a very regimented step-by-step ramping up of the distractions. So once I have the dog solidly stopping and understanding what the woe command means and that the dog stops moving, then we start slowly ramping up the distraction level, meaning um, we will, you know, obviously we'll throw pigeons in front of the dog. We will throw high value items, toys, bumpers, will fire blank shots in the air, um, all in an attempt to, honestly, to, to make the dog a liar and try to move. And then we can put the correction in, reinforce the woe, get the dog to stop, and then, you know, keep moving forward. Um, that's really kind of the, the, the long and the short of it. But it's a very step-by-step process. Um, it is... You know, the first day, maybe two or three pigeons, one at a time. Second day, maybe two or three pigeons with one or two shots at a time. And then you're slowly ramping that up, ramping that up. Um, That's also when I've got a dog that I can do that two, three, four days in a row without any corrections involved. Then that's where we start instituting the actual smell aspect of the bird in general. Okay, and them having to stop when they smell that bird. So, um, you know, what we'll do is we'll have like a small, short blind. And when I say blind, basically what it is, it's, it's six its feet long and a foot and a half high that I'll have a couple of launchers behind or some kick cages behind, but it's always upwind of where that placeboard is set. And that placeboard is set back off of that by probably – I'd say ten yards at least.
0: So, so for to put it in other terms, picture just a sitting bench, a big long bench, ten feet long. Yep. Go kick it over on its side, and then yep. put some launchers behind that board so the dog can't see the launchers or the birds, but they can smell them given them the wind direction.
1: Yep, exactly. Okay, and um, from there what we'll do is, you know, we'll just like we did with instituting the woe, we'll have the dog somewhat under control being, meaning that it's got the collar on and you'll start walking the dog towards those, towards that scent cone. And nine times out of 10, you'll see that dog, you know, you're looking for that COB, that change of behavior, right? And when you see that that dog has actually got wind of that bird, we may institute woe if if the dog's continuing to move forward, Um, if it's showing me that change of behavior before it gets to the place board, then we'll institute, whoa, if the dog's showing it at the place board, we won't say anything. We'll allow the dog to get onto the board and stop moving. But that's also one reason why we back that, that place board off of that, that, you know, those birds, you know, 10 to 15 yards. Okay. Is is that, you know, I want the faintest, if you will, of the smell of the cone, but then also, you know, it's giving us enough room that if that dog were to overshoot the board or, you know, stop a little bit before or something along those lines, that we can apply that correction and then, you know, um, release that bird or make that shot or something along those lines. So dogs moving towards the board, hits the scent cone, generally we'll see the board and either get to the board and stop and or you know stop right before the board boom we pop a pigeon right then if the dog goes to move we're reinstituting a correction in the woke command. the boards right there that we can utilize if we need to utilize the board boom another pigeon okay and then then it just becomes muscle memory the dog knows okay you're basically have already taught stop to flush stop the shot previously through through your interaction with the dog now we're just building up that and, and instituting the, the smell aspect of it as well.
0: Yeah. So same distraction, same building off of process. You're just introducing bird scent and and you're you're adding in that blind or the, the knocked over bench, whatever you want to call it, uh, to make sure that there's no visual interfering with what you're right. actually after in that session.
1: Yeah. And we'll build to where, you know, this is all yard work. So we'll build and to where basically, you know, similar to previous, we'll launch four to five birds out of the the traps or kick cages, we'll, uh, or you might not even need all those kick cages. If you got one and a bird in that cage for the scent aspect, but then you kind of walk over behind, you know, that little blockade and you're over there, big dumb idiot kicking around and you're pulling pigeons out of your pocket, that's the same situation right yeah. that's the same exact thing that you, that the dog should be used to seeing anyway
0: it, right? it accomplishes it no matter you don't have to have five launchers is right. the point you're getting at is is really as long as you can plant one bird there and right. then you have a bag of birds behind you 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 can get the same result obviously launchers are, are nice to have but you know not everybody ha- has that in their yeah. in their garage right exactly and so um you know we'll do that all the way up to to where
1: we will actually shoot a bird for the dog in that scenario so it may see three or four pigeons and then a shot bird and then maybe another two pigeons and then we walk over to the dog and we release the dog from the board to go retrieve that dead bird and and the dogs again this is all clicking in the dog's head by now right that okay board means stop, this means this, the smell means stop, the shot means stop, the flush bird means stop, got
0: it. Nothing is saying go, everything is saying stop. Nothing is go, right, (laughs) everything means stop.
1: So, you know, we go through that process, and once I get about one or two days where I can shoot one or two birds over the dog without the dog moving, then we move it to the edge of the field. So now instead of my board being out there, Uh, the blocking board if you will now we'll move the place board up to the edge of the field again downwind of where we would plant birds and cover and we will do the scenario all over again just think about it like force fetch going from the table to the ground to driving to a pile so now now we're walking up to the edge of the field dog catches wind you'll actually see the dog start stop point and you can go in there big dummy idiot, kicks around in the grass boom bird comes out pop pop boom another bird comes out pop pop bird comes out pop shot bird oh cool walk over release the dog for the retrieve so you know it it, it moves you know i know your question does it move that fast it can move that fast if you do all your fundamentals
0: nice where do we start taking the placeboard out? Because eventually, this is all making sense. It's building off of it, adding distractions, making it tougher. All the stuff that we talk about, extending duration, right. all that stuff. There's a certain point that we have to translate into actual planted birds in the field. There are, are no placeboards. Talk to me about the transition from utilizing the placeboard to doing away with the placeboard.
1: So you'll actually see the dogs start to do it usually with the blockade board is where you're seeing the dog when they hit the scent cone start to stop prior to getting to the board okay if you get that religiously through um you know on the blockade board then take the place board away all right reinstitute the place board when you go to the edge of the field but same thing once you see the dog start to identify and stop short of the place board or stop like maybe even with just his front feet on the placeboard, take the placeboard away. Okay. And, and then hopefully by by that time frame, you know, after about two or three iterations of having the board there, you know, it's time to kick the training wheels off. And now we're gonna go edge of the field again, but there's nothing out there. We're just gonna work the dog into the scent and looking for those COBs and you know. Applying a correction if we need to apply a, a correction or say, whoa if we feel like we need to say, whoa. but again, that woe command by this time should be pretty ingrained in that dog. Stop moving. Right. Yep. And when you, and for me, it's almost simultaneously, like if I've got a dog that starts to creep or starts, you know, I feel is hit that change of behavior and smells those birds, but it's still moving forward. I will hit, I will say, whoa and launch. And generally that dog will stop. Like, almost as you think about it, we were just talking about the wild bird connections, right? Oh shoot. I caused that. Yeah. I screwed up, right? Big dumb idiot didn't get a chance to go kick in the grass and I just cost us a bird. Mm.
0: So let's talk corrections all okay. right? throughout this whole process. Like you said earlier on that, that first initial introduction, uh, y- you're going to give a correction to the woe and you just place them back. You're not giving another place command or anything. But where does the pressure, if you're doing it, are you only doing verbal corrections or are you utilizing the collar? Are you using continuous? Like talk to me about when you're turning pressure on on the collar and when you're turning it off throughout this whole process.
1: Okay. So there's there's a big difference between the pressure and the correction. So, and, and that's the beautiful thing of having a collar that, you know, I'm going to shamelessly plug Garmin 550 right now, um, where you could literally, you know, low, medium, high. Right. And to me, that high level is, is that correction? That low is that cue. So if I've got a dog that's, that's, you know, we taught whoa and that lowest level to stop, move your feet. And then we produce a bird and the dog goes to move, then yes, I will audibly correct, uh ah-ah, no, or something like that. Not whoa, but uh ah-ah. And I'll hit that high at the same time. I'll nick them on the high, on on the uh ah-ah. If they continue to move, then I will grab that low pressure and command whoa again. And then if the dog doesn't, you know, again, keeps continuing to move, then it will get another correction. Uh Ah-ah. If you've done your groundwork and utilized either a wonder lead or some sort of physical connection with that dog and you've overlaid that collar correctly, much like you would with a force fetch, then that dog should know that that one, that cue and that whoa means stop moving. And that correction means I just did something wrong.
0: Mm. Yep. Makes sense. Uh, release command. How are you introducing? What are you using? And the timing of it all. You know, it's one of those. I think that we we probably gloss over the release commands on all this stuff. But just like the communication to get them to stop is is so important, so is the communication to actually release them to go do whatever. Sometimes yeah. that release can be a retrieve, as in fetch. Sometimes it's just go on. You're free to go go about your business. Whatever.
1: Yeah, and that and that's the same thing uh, that we do here. Uh, we use we utilize the word all right you know, we'll tell them, all right. And, you know, that means you're free to do whatever you want. And then of course, you know, the fetch means, you know, you've, you've still got a task to happen, but now you can move your feet again. Mm-hmm. So.
0: And so when you're, when you're doing the, all right, that goes all the way back to the place board, the, even before whoa. they know what the release yep. is before whoa, So you don't have to have yep. whoa to have a release. The release is established and the kennel doors, at the doors, at the food, all that stuff that goes full circle back to why it's so important that everything leads into another thing.
1: Yeah, that, that's why I said before, I'm a little little remiss to talk whoa play sports without talking foundational play sport training to begin with. But yep. it, I mean,
0: that'll it, be four or five episodes though.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that could be. It, it absolutely could be because it's got such a, I mean, for us especially, I mean, it's got, just such a value and so much of the training that we do oh so. yeah
0: no it, it absolutely does so all right, so you you've gone through the whole program. you, you got the dog uh, trained to woe, it's releasing it, it, It's looking good. It's doing everything great. Uh, talk to me about maintenance requirements. Are there spring cleaning requirements with this method? If, when when you do when they get a little sloppy, which they're prone to do during hunting season through a fault of of us as handlers getting lax on our on our requirements. But let's say it's March, end of hunting season, we need to clean it up a little bit where are we starting? Are we going all the way back to the obstacle course and going all the way through it? Or are we just putting them on place board and, and doing some distractions with them?
1: You know, it's uh, it's funny. Uh, I've heard this said before, all bird dogs are liars, cheats, and snakes, right? Yep. So, you know, they, they, and by no fault of our own, like you say, we get a little lax lackadaisical when we start doing some wild bird hunting or we're we're in the thick of it, you know, What 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 is our expectations and stuff like that. And, um, you know, for me personally, and you know, I think you're the same way, I, I generally don't mind if my dog, while in a real-world hunting situation, break on the shot, right, um, unless I'm in a situation where there's a possibility of multiple birds getting up or, you know, we're hunting coveys and, and stuff like that, which... You know, this that's the circumstance where I will absolutely, especially in the field, you know, remind my dog to woe if I see it start to move, okay? Um, but, yeah, it's its pretty much exactly what you said. Depending on how loose you allow your dog to get um, during the season, um, it, it is as easy as cleaning up as just bringing them back to the play sport again, you know? and just giving them a few distractions and reminding them that, you know, woe means stop moving your feet. Um, I rarely have I seen a dog that's been trained in this method that after the, after a season, now after multiple seasons, maybe you may have to go backwards a little bit further in the program, but most dogs, you know, a week, if that, of just, you know, some very regimented, um, Training meaning that, you know, hey, we're on the board, you're seeing some distractions again, you're seeing some birds again, you know, oh yeah, shot means stop moving my feet, Yep, flush plush bird means stop moving my feet, everything means just stop, got it, okay, <laughs> that they come around pretty quick, you know, yeah. and it, it's pretty crazy, I mean, um, shameless plug on Falco, I mean, you've seen Falco, he's getting ready to test here in March, I haven't really messed with him in, you know, a year, I mean, I was going to test him this fall before, you know, my medical issue and stuff like that, and uh, I brought him out yesterday, and, you know, we, we hunted some quail over top of him, and he didn't move. He didn't budge. I mean, he's pointing 10, 15, 20 yards away from the birds, and he didn't budge. You know, he just stood there. He's like, okay, I'm, I'm waiting for you to come over here and tell me to go get it. Ready to rock.
0: So... <sighs> I'm curious, as we kind of start winding this down and wrapping it up, say you give a dog a woe in the field, all right? And this is just general. It doesn't have to really fall into your program per se, but just in general of the woe command, right? When we're talking about it as a whole, the dog is in the field. It goes on point. Maybe it starts to break, creep, fill in the blank, whatever. You give the dog a woe. Technically, the way we talk about these commands and the way we train these dogs is we gave that dog the command, whoa, you're supposed to stop moving and you're supposed to wait there until I release you. Yep. So technically, in theory, by the way that we talk about all this stuff is really all these dogs, once they're taught, whoa, should be shot fall release all the way through right then and there and uh, it, without having to add in additional pressure. That's where the, kind of the distractions in your program falls in. What's your thought process on that? Because you just said, I'm okay with the dog breaking on shot, right? Well, technically, if we gave a whoa, technically they're breaking a command. Just, you know, I'm just asking as like a fun question. What's your thought process on that? It's semantics, I know, but I'm just kind of curious now. Uh,
1: it's not semantics, but if you remember, it kind of goes back to my pet peeve, though, too. You know, if your dog's not moving, why give it a woe command? Yep. Right. If the dog establishes a point and is steady, why give it a woe command? I, I really, I really, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I, I, I withhold that command for when the dog's in motion. Right. Okay. So it'd be a different circumstance if we'll say scenario wise, I know we're hunting quail. Dog goes on point. One bird gets up, but I know there's more birds. I can see more birds on the ground, right? There's a covey on the ground. One bird gets up. It gets shot. Dog goes to break. I yell, whoa, and the dog doesn't stop. Well, then the very next thing that dog's getting is a harsh correction. Ah, Ah-ah. With probably some sort of collar pressure or collar correction at that time. Not necessarily pressure, a correction. That dog should stop moving at that point.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So let, let's talk about you gave that dog a whoa. all right? You, that same scenario, let's stick with that. The rest of that covey gets up. They light up. You shoot. The dog breaks on you shooting. Are you okay with that even though you gave the dog the command and technically he's supposed to wait on you to release him from the command? You see what I'm getting at now?
1: <laughs> oh, I, 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 I absolutely do. Um, in a testing scenario, I have not okay with that in a real world hunting scenario depending on how many birds just got dropped in that covey i might be okay with it right you know it, i mean let, let's call a spade a spade i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say one thing and do another so i mean
0: yeah
1: uh, i think you know it, for me recovery a game is paramount and above everything and anything else um and uh you know, at the end of the day, if I'm out hunting and my dog is steady enough for me to get two or three, four shots on a covey of quail, and then breaks on the last one, um, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Now, obviously, testing scenario, I'm going to clean that up. You know, I'm going to really clean that up because that's not an acceptable situation. You know, yeah. you get a testing, you get a testing scenario, and you know, heaven forbid, you've got some, we'll say less mature or experienced gunners and you know the gunners empty their guns, you know, four or five shots and your dog breaks on the third shot. You know,
0: that's a situation. that's an issue. Yeah. That would never happen in a testing scenario, right?
1: <laughs>
0: so I mean the the that's a good answer. It's an honest answer because that's there's a few things that I think people can glean from that. Number one is like you said, don't give the command woe unless there's an actual need the command, whoa, right? If the dog is on point and you just say, whoa, and then you allow the dog to break when the bird gets up, Technically you just water down that command to where it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and you could argue kind of the difference between testing and hunting. You can you can kind of say that's the same thing, similar, but ultimately it falls down into your goals. The individual's goals. Are you testing? Are you hunting? And this throws a lot of people for a loop when you hear all the time like, Well, hunt the way you, you train or or train the way you hunt, vice versa. Well, if you're wanting to do any of these other tests or trials or something, sometimes you got to do stuff that just doesn't line up exactly perfectly for you.
1: Right, and and in all honesty, it it also goes even in the hunting scenario world. You know, I'm pretty restrictive in my group of people I hunt with. Um, Most of, if you want to call me a snob or whatever, I kind of I enjoy the fact that we're hunting upland game and we're only hunting. properly handled birds and stuff like that you know that's that to me is why i'm out there um you know if you get into a situation and you know we get there we get a young shooter or an amateur shooter that's just getting started in this and they're all pumped up and stuff it might not even be a really safe situation if your dog's busting on the flush or busting on the first shot or something like that you know uh it's just knowing your environment and so, uh, you know, know your goals. If you know, you're going to be hunting with a lot of, uh, individuals that this may be their first, second season, or they're hunting for the first time on rough grouse and they've never seen rough grouse come up out of the freaking you know, alders before and stuff. Um, you know, you may take that extra step and make sure my dog's steady to, uh, to release basically for me to walk up and release them, you
0: know, so. Each their own. There's a million different uh, circumstances or scenarios that can change how anybody wants to do any of this stuff. Ultimately, but yes. uh, but man, Scott, I'm I, I enjoyed this. It was a lot of fun. It was nice Thank catching you. up with you. Finally, having you back on again for for a while. Uh, before Absolutely. I let you go, you you mentioned something earlier. You, it sounds like you're working on a book or something. Do you have anything you want to plug? Anything happening over at Rusty Guns <laughs> Kennel? What's what's happening over there? Well, we are we're writing a training manual. A training manual. So not a
1: book, a manual. <laughs> yeah. As per some some highly recommended advice from a very close friend of mine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, we're writing a training manual. Um, don't know exactly when we'll release it or how just yet, but we're we're putting words to pages. Um and then also, we are, uh, we've pretty much started to solidify the dates for our summer series of seminars. Um, we're going to be holding some seminars this summer. The first one uh, starting off this, this spring, we're thinking about a mid April time frame, mid to late April. Um, and we'll do, we'll basically go right down our roadmap. We will, uh, the first seminar will be about foundation and foundation obedience and foundational type stuff um the second one will be much more of an intermediate um introduction then we'll break down into um you know the eaches, if you will we'll we'll have a force fetch seminar we will have a steadiness seminar and then we'll have at the end of the summer thereabouts we'll have a complete package like what does a complete bird dog look like you know and and things to think about for that so yeah we'll be hosting those here at the at the kennel you know we'll get some information to you if you want to post it
0: yeah yeah shoot it to me let me know when you when you hash out all the details the dates pricing and and, and all that fun stuff but uh yeah man it, it's it's neat kind of seeing you reinvigorated not that you were, it's not like you're downtrodden on dog training or anything but it seems like uh through through all that junk that you've gone through it's just kind of like you you've kind of refocused and and realized what what really mattered to you a little bit more
1: yeah, I mean it's uh it's pretty easy to get caught up in you know I do this out of a passion for the dogs and for the, the potential clients and handlers and stuff like that but you know it, business is still a business and, it, and it's pretty pretty easy to get wrapped up in that sometimes you know and um, if there's anything that the last couple of months has taught me is that you know if you will take time to smell the roses you know. Take time to make that walk around the pond. You know, <laughs> it's it's definitively kind of changed a lot of things around
0: here. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to to catching these clinics or seminars. What what they are, your your training manual, and uh, just keep at it, man. i I'm, I'm. I think I speak for, for most of the listeners and everybody that kind of knows you. We're we're happy that you're here and, and recovering and getting stronger and and you know it's it's some exciting stuff coming down the way. It sounds like absolutely brother one step at a time absolutely well we'll go ahead and turn this off everybody stick around for the outro scott thanks for joining us we'll talk soon man all right guys just stop with the excuses already no one wants to hear that you missed that bird because you had the wrong choking again Instead of whining about it, go to TrueLockChokes.com and get the best chokes on the market. They have every kind of choke you can need, and they're proudly made in Georgia right here in the good old U.S. of A. These chokes come with a lifetime warranty and even a 60-day money-back guarantee if you don't like it. So you can keep missing those birds and crying to your buddies, or you can hit up TrueLockChokes.com and start knocking them down today. All right, everybody, I hope you enjoyed that episode breaking down the place woe and and how my buddy Scott Caldwell over at Rusty Gun Kennel uh, operates and and functions through that method. This episode was brought to you by Standing Stone Supply, DT Systems, as well as OnX Hunt. Uh, It was kind of nice catching up with Scott. It's been a while since he's been on here, and uh, when I was putting together this woe series series, I knew that I needed to cover the place board, woe well because it seems like, you know, the, anecdotally speaking, just just talking to people, just the more people I talk to and the listeners and the questions that I get, it seems like, and I could be mistaken, but it seems like at least on the people I'm talking with, the place uh, the place method is actually growing in popularity, and so I wanted to get somebody on that deals with it on a regular basis, obviously, and that that's my buddy Scott, and he hadn't been on for. For quite a while, so I thought it would be fun to catch up with him and, and break down his methods and and his thought process as it comes to using the placeboard board for woe. Because I know that uh, while it's growing in popularity, there's also some people that uh, there's some misunderstandings on on what that actually looks like. So hopefully, this kind of provided some more context and information for you. Uh, it's uh, yeah, it, it, it's one of the more popular methods. So, uh, again, I, I hope you guys got something out of it, but that being said, I, I was scrolling through social media, uh, recently. I know that's always kind of a dangerous thing to be doing, but, uh, I was scrolling through it and, and something kind of caught my, my eyes and, uh, ears on one post or reel, whatever you, you want to call it. And, uh, I think it was Neil deGrasse Tyson, he he did a, a an interview where he was talking about the factor of seven. You know, where does the dog years aspect come from? You know, when somebody talks about the dog, you know, the dog is three years old, really. He's 21 years old in dog years. And he was breaking it down on, and I have no idea how accurate this is, but it kind of made sense, at least in the light, that he was talking about doing it. And I thought it would be kind of fun to to bring this up uh in an outro and, and talk about it for a, a second anyway, he, he was describing the fact that the the dog years, seven dog years to our one year, uh, comes from the fact of our average age when we die compared to the dog. And uh, he gave the example of uh, say say we as humans live to ninety years old, the dogs live to thirteen. That's your factor of seven. And I actually looked up, I I, I was curious, I was wondering if those age ranges kind of made sense and if it was in line. So I did a quick Google search and it's actually the average death age, at least in the U.S., is 77 and the dog is 10 to 13 years. That's their average age. So, again, factor of seven. So what does that mean? Why am I bringing this up? Is it really kind of put in perspective of the, the days that we don't want to train our dogs? matters a heck of a lot more to that dog. And and to to further emphasize this, one day to us equates to one week in their lives. So that's the factor of seven. One day equals seven days to them. And so that's why they're always ready to go. That's why they're always, you know, it. they're in that mood. So it's just one of those. I, I thought it was a fun uh, statistic, if you want to call it that, or at least just a, a way of looking at it to. If you're sitting on the couch, if you're sitting at home, you you have a long day at work, and you get home, and you're like, man, I really, I really don't feel like training my dog. Just think for a second, stop and consider the fact that you're feeling in that moment, your laziness in that moment, and we all have them. I've done it myself. I've been doing it too much here lately, to be perfectly honest. Uh, that one one emotion or one feeling and decision impacts an entire week of their lives. So. It may just be that we're we're not feeling it for a half hour or so when we get home from work. But that means that you're going to lose out an entire week of that dog's life, if that makes sense. And then also it's it's just a good reminder of taking advantage of the time when we have that. You heard on this episode, Scott had a, a a random just, you know, life altering wake up call on Thanksgiving to where he just collapsed and had a massive heart attack. It can happen to any of us. It can happen to our dogs, obviously. So again, this is just kind of a reminder, just a a gentle, gentle nudge more so for myself, more than any of y'all. Honestly, it's, Take advantage of the time when you have it, okay? Don't don't just keep pushing things off and saying, I'll get to it tomorrow, I'll get to it tomorrow, especially when it comes to, to talking and catching up with buddies and friends, and more importantly, even so uh, in a lot of ways, working our dogs, because that's a week they don't get back just because we don't feel like we're in the mood in that moment. And uh, yeah, so I just thought that would be a fun little uh, stat or or piece of information to throw out on the podcast. So you know, if it's if it's something that struck home with you, you know, by all means, let me know. I uh, hope you hope you guys kind of enjoyed it as much as I I did, kind of pondering it up uh, up in the head for for a few days. But with that being said, we're gonna move on. I'm gonna do an extended outro uh, right after this, uh, kind of in in line with that that frame of mind is taking advantage of all the time that we have, just because we have one training session and and that equates to a, uh, a week of a dog's life. To me, that also motivates me to be more intentional, and consistent and disciplined throughout the day with my dogs, uh, taking advantage of that time that I have to where I don't have to do a full on setup. So, I want to talk or just discuss or give my thoughts more so on uh, what we call passive training. Uh, you know, the old saying is more applied to kids than dogs i hear all the time is more is caught than taught and so just the the uh consens- consistency and discipline of everyday life with these dogs you can really kind of be training and and hitting that fast forward button in a lot of ways with your dogs and and uh and what you're teaching them, and what they're learning. So, uh, if you're interested in that that conversation, or any of the other stuff that that I put out on extended outros, bonus episodes, early releases, so on, and so forth, please consider joining Patreon. It's a it's a completely voluntary uh, crowdfunding source. Ultimately, if you enjoy this content, you want to see the content grow. You want to see GDLI grow into uh, uh, more entertaining content and uh valuable content then just go on to patreon.com forward slash gundog yourself and consider giving five bucks a month you know it's uh, as bob owens calls it it's just like buying me a beer and and it does go a long way it does help out the podcast a lot but with that being said i'm gonna wrap this up again i hope you enjoyed this this episode presented by standing stone supply dt systems and onyx hunt and uh we'll be be back next week thanks guys Thank you Thanks for tuning in to this GDIY episode presented by Standing Stone Supply, Onyx Hunt, and Upland Gun Company. Be sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. If you've learned anything from the podcast over the years, then please use the links in the show notes to shoot over to our social media accounts or to the website where you can purchase a hat or sign up for the weekly GDIY bumper. If you could use a sounding board for some one-on-one training advice, or you'd simply like to show some love by buying me a beer every month, then consider signing up for Patreon. This would also get you access to some discount codes as well as let you join in on our next community zoom room where we discuss anything and everything related to gun dogs. i couldn't possibly do this show without the support of my patreon patrons you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash gundog yourself thanks again and we'll talk to
1: you soon